Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. Because I'm anointed to teach, thank you because your people are anointed to receive. And together our faith is built up in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. I pray that light and understanding will come forth in and through your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Now today we've, we've dealt with a, a, a whole number of things up until this time. Today we want to look at what I call Sola Scriptura. And what that simply means, the word Sola Scriptura means the idea of scripture is alone or scripture alone. The word solar is the Latin word for alone or the ground, like which um, you can use, use it for ground, you can use it for the word alone, and the word scriptura, of course, means scriptures. So essentially, what solar scriptura means is that scriptures is enough. Or there is the sufficiency of scriptures. And why are we doing this? Because as you develop, sometimes you come to see people talk about some holy books that are there. How many of you have heard of some holy books? Huh? You know, some people talk about the seven books of Moses, right? And some of the, the Mormon Bible and some of the things like that, that we would look at as we go on. So, I'm going to recommend two things. This is what we call, um, this is something I got called the cumulative case for the reliability of the gospel eyewitnesses account. We talked about that, that the eyewitness account is one of the strongest proof of the Christian faith. So we're going to put this in, on our platform. Just a graph that shows four things why the eyewitness accounts are reliable. The first is that it is verified. Archaeology and um, all of that verifies the things in the Bible. It is timely. The Gospel writers wrote within a specific time. Uh, Acts was written in AD 57 to 60. Um, Luke around AD 53 to 57. Between AD 50 to about 57 to 70, a lot of the scriptures were written. It's attested and then it's accurate. So I'll just put this up on our platforms. You can download it when you get the scriptures. Then I'll recommend this book also, God Breathed the Undeniable Power and Reliability of Scriptures by Josh McDowell. It's one of the books that can just help you to understand the. Um, the, the strength of scriptures And it's all because I mean we don't have the time to go through All of this content So I'm going to just give you the basics And then we move on Now the word scripture It's very important for us to understand That the word scripture um, If you use certain translations of the Bible Refers to it as sacred writings now, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 first So it's going to be a lot of history today So just pay attention so you can follow Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 Now uh, there are several translations of the Bible As we have time we would maybe go through a few um, <laughs> That's why sometimes uh, you know, when you get things on social media you have to very careful of it. Have you, have you seen that stuff people 
pass around sometimes and say NIV Bible, they have removed some things, it's the Bible of the Antichrist. Have you read that stuff? NIV is one of the most accurate translations you can ever use. Just don't mind those people. They, they, they are things shared by people who are hungry. You know when people are hungry, they can write, they can really see anything. It's just throw that thing away. It's one of the most accurate translations of the Bible you can find. Alright? Now, let me explain something about Bible translations. There are several kinds of Bible translations. There are paraphrased. Paraphrased Bible translations are people look at the thought and paraphrase it in a common English that you can understand. So for instance, message is a paraphrase. And you find that most Bible teachers do not use message translation. Okay? But you find exalters, people who teach, who encourage. Yeah, the only Bible teacher who uses message a lot is my dad. He uses message, but um, you know, but most Bible teachers wouldn't use message translation because it's a paraphrase. Now, do you have Bible translations that are thought for thought? That means they look at the Greek thought and then they convey it, they translate the thought. So they are thought for thoughts. Then there are other translations that are words for words. So what they do is they take the Greek word and try to translate it and find it as uh, to its closest meaning. You understand that? So that's what makes for why people use different translations. Okay, there are translations that are stronger with the Greek verbs. So it's not like anyone is bad. It just depends on what do you want to achieve. So for me, as a Bible teacher... Uh, the verbs of Greek the, the, I, I want to get as close To the original language as, as possible But if I were to do maybe An exaltation uh, And everything You could use a paraphrase Okay, So what I'm saying that is Sometimes you go through this translation People say oh King James is the really original ah, is the original King James is not original as, as nothing as nothing The only thing is that it was the first English Bible That was authorized that the king gave his blessing for it to be published and distributed. That's why when you go to the first page, you would see that the authorized King James Version. Alright? So what just happened with the King James is that the king authorized it. The name of the king was James. So that's why it's called the King James Version. Okay? Then the New King James Version, what the New King James Version just did was to work a bit on the language so that it could, because the King James Version was written more in Shakespearean language. D, doubt, widest, comest, goest, <laughs> hearest thou what I'm saying, <laughs> you know. So, but then, it worked on it on the New King James. So, that's where you get all of those translations from. And the reason I'm saying this is that these are very important things because sometimes people come up and say, oh, this Bible said it, this one said it, this Bible is not complete, that one is not complete. You find out especially in the writings of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark. So there were some earlier literatures, there were some earlier books that were found that in some Bible uh, chapters, you discover that maybe one verse is not there. It's not that it was omitted, it depends on the translation that it was picked from. Praise God. Alright, so let's go to Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. We'll, we start reading from verse 15 as we examine what will mean by sola scriptura. Verse 15 says, and, from, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. Okay? You have known the sacred writings. So you observe that he uses the word sacred writings there. And it was referring to what? To scriptures. Okay? For you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. 
Through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, it's very important to understand this. That Paul says to Timothy, the sacred writings are for one purpose. What purpose is that? They are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ. That means, essentially, the scriptures is given to us for salvation. Praise God. Now, the scripture is given to us for salvation. So, the, the scriptures there is what is referred to as what? The sacred writings. Verse 16. All scripture is inspired. The word inspired there, it's the Greek word theopinostos. Theopinostos means God-breathed. God-breathed. And this is very important because this is the foundation of scripture. It means God-breathed. That means god breath on man to write it. All scripture is inspired by God or God breathed, okay, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So we know that, now this is important, follow me now, it says all scripture is inspired. All scripture is God breathed. Now, those all scripture is the sacred writings in the verse that we read before this. So we know that the sacred writings or the scripture is God inspired or breathed by God. Now, when God spoke to men to write it, we know that the personalities of men came in the mix. We're going to deal with that as we go on. But we must first of all understand that the scripture is inspired. The scripture is God breathed. Now, let's look at what Peter says. 2 Peter chapter 1 and go to verse 20 to 21. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 20 to 21. It says, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, so look at that, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. And this is where sometimes as charismatic we get it, we get it to the extreme. Because in charismatic circles, anybody will just get up and say, you know what? God called me up at 3 a.m. This is what God told me about the scripture. And millions of people come and they say all kinds of things about scriptures. The truth of the matter is that scriptures essentially have one truth. Scripture has one truth. Now, sometimes the application might differ, but scripture has one truth. Because Peter says, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. So you don't come to scripture and say, this is what I think. It's not what you think, it's what it is saying. And many times we don't dig deep enough to find out what scripture is saying. Praise the name of the Lord. And so what will happen is that we all just come with our own interpretation. Say, eh, if it means this one to you, it's okay. This is what it means to me. No, it wasn't designed to be that way. It was supposed to mean one truth to all of us. Are we together? Alright, go to the next verse, verse 21. For no prophecy. What will this prophecy be now? The prophecy of scripture. Perfect. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. So it wasn't just like people just said, let's write Bible that we'll be using. No, it wasn't just by human will. What happened? Men moved by the Holy Spirit, look at this word, spoke from God. Not just spoke for God. They spoke what? From God. Which confirms what Paul wrote to Timothy that the scripture is inspired. 
Right. So they didn't just, it wasn't just an act of will. The, the Bible didn't just come about as an act of will. No. It was inspired by God. It was God breathed. They spoke from God. They wrote from God. Perfect. Now, let's look at what we call the canon of scripture. The word canon is a Greek word which means rule or standard. How was the Bible determined? How was it determined that we would have only these 27 books in the New Testament and all that in the Old Testament? First of all, you realize that the canon of scripture, there were four things that were taken into cognizance when the canon of scripture was being uh, uh, put together. Number one, the writing must be uttered by an apostle or prophet of God or someone closely connected with one or more of the apostles. That means that every book that was accepted to become the Bible later must be authored by either one of the foundational apostles or someone closely related to one or more of the foundational apostles. So you find out that there are, first of all, 12 apostles of the Lamb. The 12 apostles of the Lamb are the first how do I put this now? The first, the, the apostles of the Lamb, which are the twelve foundational apostles, are the apostles that were chosen by Jesus Christ Himself. You know, you cannot add to that. Those ones were already chosen, and they were chosen directly by Jesus Himself. Now, I've tried to answer this. I think my daughter asked me the question. Jesus had twelve apostles, twelve disciples, who He named apostles. But Jesus did not only have twelve disciples. I hope you people know that. Yeah, Jesus didn't, didn't just have. Jesus had twelve disciples, whom He named apostles. But Jesus had more than 12 disciples. So it's important for us to understand when we talk about the disciples of Jesus, you must learn to separate the term from the 12 disciples of Jesus to the, to, you know, sometimes you must not allow your CRS knowledge to interfere with scriptures. You know, CRS is written so you will pass exam. This is for eternal life. Alright? So Jesus did not just have 12 disciples. It works, but... He actually had 12 disciples whom he named apostles. Those apostles are the 12 foundational apostles of the Lamb. But he had many more disciples. Joseph of Arimathea was his disciple. But he didn't show up until his death. Praise God. Okay, so, it's, it's a, a, whatever was written by any of those ones or someone really closely related to them was one, was one of the reasons how they chose. Because... Okay, let me backtrack. There were several other books. Some of you, I don't know if you have read the Catholic, some of you have the Catholic Bible. Uh, if you've ever read the Catholic Bible or you read, read some books and then they, uh, in the middle, they would have what you call the Apocrypha books. The word Apocrypha means hidden. Have you read any Bible like that? That has 1st Maccabees, 2nd Maccabees, 1st Ezra, 2nd Ezra. Have you read all of that? Okay, so why were those things not put within the context of our Bible was the fact that some of those things were not authored by the original apostles that followed Jesus. Alright? They are writings, but they were not part of the scripture. They were not canonized. We are looking at the process of canonization. Number two, the writings clearly evidenced by the confirming power and presence of God. So look at the writings that were confirmed by the power and the presence of God. Number three, the message was consistent with other recognized scripture. What that means is that any book that was accepted, especially in the New Testament that was accepted, was, must be consistent with other scriptures. Must be consistent from the Old Testament down now to the New Testament. Now, let's look at something. For instance, Muzzle Not the Ox was quoted in Deuteronomy. Then it's coded in Luke, and then Paul quotes it in Timothy. So you see, from Deuteronomy to Luke, and then to Timothy, that scripture is what? 
quoted. The just shall live by faith. Quoted in Habakkuk, quoted in Romans, quoted in Hebrews. So you see that there is a continuity. So every book that was accepted later to be part of the New Testament must show continuity from the Old Testament because it must be one thread running through all of scriptures. Do you understand that? Alright. Number four, the writings was widely accepted by the early church fathers or by the church from an early date. So the early church fathers accepted the writings from an early date. So these four things are what qualifies however the, the, the books were canonized or were accepted. Now, some people say, well, uh, is it possible that these people who wrote these things did not add their own personal thoughts to it We say no Because Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2 And Jeremiah chapter 26 verse 2 Warns us about adding to the word of God So we know that they wrote Within the, uh, within the sphere Of how the Lord allowed them Or how the Lord willed them to write Now uh, a bit of history We'll get into scriptures In AD 367 um, There was a guy called Antinasus of Alexandra Antinasus of Alexandra He was the first person Who officially compiled 27 books You know of the New Testament Alright And then we had two There were two major meetings Which which are the, the Council of Hippo And then the Council of Carthage The Council of Hippo was in AD 367 Yeah I think so no, AD 393 was the Council of Hippo. AD 393 was the Council of Hippo. Then AD 397 was the Council of Carthage. Now, in these two councils, the scriptures were formally canonized and made into the Bible, and then the canon of scriptures was closed. That means that uh, there could be no addition to scriptures, right? And then we had what we call our Bible. So the, 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 the time at which the Bible was canonized was AD 393 and AD 397, the Council of Hippo and the Council of Carthage. And that's how we find our scriptures. That's where we now say, okay, fine, this is the Bible. Now you must understand, we'll go there as we, as we progress, you must understand that when the saints were writing, they did not write with the mind that they were compiling a Bible. Yeah, Timothy, uh, Paul wasn't writing like he was writing a Bible. Paul was actually writing letters to the church. Right? Paul was writing a letter to Timothy. Right? Writing a letter to Timothy first and second Timothy, writing to the churches he planted. So it wasn't like they all decided, you write one chapter, me, I will write two chapters. No. <laughs> no. They all wrote as they were inspired by the Lord, and then it later became the scriptures. Now, and the reason we are big on these is because most times some people have talked about the, Apo- the Apocrypha books, the 14 books, which you know you can find in some Bibles. Uh, why are those ones not included in the scriptures? Then you also have people who come up with all kinds of things and they say, well, we have this writing, there's the book of Thomas. Uh, then you know and all of that that you know some people at a point were bringing up that you know Thomas wrote this and so it should have been part of the Bible then in 1827 a man by the name of Joseph Smith the founder of the Mormon the latter day saints said he had um, uh, that's 1827 yeah he had uh, had a, a vision in New York an angel appeared to him and gave him two gold stuff and all those stuff and all those stuff so he wrote the Mormon Bible and the Mormon Bible was I think it was first officially published in 1830 that's when and so for instance those were part of the latter day saints they used both the scriptures and then 
still use the, <laughs> the, you know, the Mormon Bible. And, and that's why sometimes for a child of God, we are teaching this now, that the scriptures is enough. Praise God. The scriptures is enough. That's the concept of sola scriptura. Now, let me give you a bit of history, further history, and then we get into five reasons why we emphasize the authority of scriptures. Nothing against the Catholic Church, just a bit of history. Now, if you, if you follow church history, uh, and I was very glad, um, I was very glad about the recent meeting Robert Slayadon, who wrote God's General had in Nigeria, uh, in Polynesia's church. Uh, I mean, it was very good. I think it was very good of history. He ran through a lot of history. Uh, I mean, and I really enjoyed his session because sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes even ministers of the gospel do not spend time enough to study church history or no church history. And if we spend time to study ch- history or no church history, we will not repeat some mistakes of history. Because it's very obvious that sometimes we repeat the mistakes of history. Now, um, the Catholic Church was the sole custodians of the, of the Bible, okay? They, they just, the lay people didn't have access to it. And then they began to do things like penance, which means that if someone died and you felt the person would not go to heaven, you paid some money, the priest would do some things for the person. You know, other things began to come into the mix of religion. And then a Catholic monk, uh, monk by the name of Martin Luther, you know, most, most Christians know Martin Luther of I Have a Dream. Okay? <laughs> that one is very important to Americans. The one that's really important to us is not I Have a Dream. You know, the one that's important to us is Martin Luther, the reformer. So in Wittenberg, Germany, uh, he, named the, he nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Roman Catholic Church and asked them to come. You know, 95 things he saw that were not consistent with the truth of God's word. But one of the things that was big for Martin Luther was the fact that justification was by faith in Christ alone. The just shall live by faith. That one word was what that, that one word is what is making you to be able to read the Bible today. Because then you wouldn't have access to the Bible. And some of us would have paid heavily for our salvation and we would be too poor to pay. And so Martin Luther rose up and came up with the issue of justification by faith. And as that began to progress, the reformers now decided, okay, we're going to have what we call the five solas. Alright? Um, um, solar Christos, Solar Scriptura, and the five solas there. But our emphasis today is Solar Scriptura. And it says, listen, we're going to, we're going to all agree that the scripture is enough. The scripture is self-sufficient. Okay? So let's look at one of the, the four reasons why we talk about Sola Scriptura. First of all, the scripture, the Sola Scriptura means that scripture is the supreme authority over the church. Now, that supreme authority of scripture serves to keep the church leadership accountable. Now, this is very important. And why do we need to teach these things again? Because if you are not careful as a church, we are going back into decline. We're going back into the things, some of the things that we said we wouldn't do. We're getting back there. Some of the things that God delivered us from, we're getting back there. Today, you can ask an average believer, what does the Bible say? They have no, no clue. And they'll tell you what Papa said. And you, know, you know, the greatest thing sometimes when I'm teaching scriptures or I'm talking to people about scriptures, the greatest challenge I have sometimes is having to teach people what is in the Word as opposed to what Papa said. It's, it's difficult. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like you're trying to teach all dogs new tricks. It's, it's still, eh, but that's not what Papa said. Okay, but what does the Bible say? What does the scripture say? Read the Bible. 
So, sola scriptura simply means that the scriptures is the authority of God's word. That means that even I can be wrong, but the scripture remains right. And that's why believers should be trained to study the word of God so that they can be able to know where and where to draw the line. So, scriptures is the sole authority of the church. Not what I say, not what the Archbishop says, not what Papa says, not what whatever your most inspiring preacher says. And this is usually a challenge in generation because when you ask people, let's look into the word of God, sometimes the personalities of the people they are under blind them from seeing God's word. And things that are very obvious in the scriptures, you know, I mean, without, without, without trying to sound this thing, they begin to teach you to become all kinds of doctrines. And I'll talk about that as we move on. Number two, sola scriptura means that the scripture is sufficient for salvation. That the scripture equips believers with all that is needed to be saved. John chapter 20, please. Let's read that. John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. I'll read the NIV version. John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. Alright? And let me, let me tell you. Well, I know, some of, I know we are, we're bigger than that. But let me just say, you know, most of those things they forward on WhatsApp that you should forward. Alright? Just throw those things away. There are people who don't have work. Okay? Uh, you know some of those very funny ones. Somebody just gave birth to a baby in hospital. They open the hand. They just, just it's waste of time. It's waste of your time actually. It's not the fear of the antichrist as the beginning of wisdom. It's the fear of the Lord. Praise God. Uh-huh. Don't forward all those things. Let me tell you this. Every go and read church history. Every single person, and I mean every single person who has predicted the date of the rapture has been wrong. Everybody. Everybody who has predicted the rapture date has been wrong. We continue to be wrong. Nobody gets it. Because it's plain in scriptures. Scriptures already told us. No man knows the date. It's not committed to the hands of man. But you know, when we have followed people to the point where they now blind us from seeing scriptures, whatever they say is correct. John 20, 30-31 Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. So you must understand that not everything Jesus did was recorded. And the wisdom is, stay silent where the scriptures are silent. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Stay silent where the scriptures are silent. And be loud where the scripture is loud. Look at this now. It says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So everything that was recorded in scripture was selected to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Why? Because that was what is required for salvation. So all the miracles Jesus did were not written in the Bible. All the activities of Jesus were not written in the Bible. Sometimes if you study, I'm doing a critical study in the book of Mark right now, in theology studies, and Trying to look at the narrative of Mark, you would understand that sometimes these narrators took different ways in expressing the life of Jesus. You see, Jesus shows up as a 12 year old, right? And then, bam, bam, one or two chapters, fast track. He comes to when he started ministry, and then fast track, about six, seven chapters, and bam, he's talking about his death. Mark spends a lot of time talking about his death. 
Okay? So, of course, I mean, all the growing years, the 30 years, and a couple of all those things were not recorded. Don't try to search for what is not written. Just stay with what is written. And that's why sometimes when people ask you questions, you want to ask whether they are asking if they really want to know or they just want argument, like Paul, what Paul warned Timothy about. Okay, if Cain and Abel were the only two people God created, so who did Cain now marry? I want to know. Well, there's an answer for that, but I mean, does that lead to salvation? Is that important for salvation? It's not important for salvation. Praise the name of the Lord. Alright. So we know that what was written about Jesus is the things, what was documented, sorry, about Jesus are the things that are required for what? For salvation. It's just that, for instance, if I want to prove that this, my brother, is a man, what I will just write are all the key characteristics that would help you appreciate that he's a man. I might not write other things that doesn't contribute to that factor. So, there were things that took place that were not documented, you know, because they were not things that essentially were proving the messianic, the messianic role of Christ. Then number three, one of the third elements of sola scriptura is the clarity of scriptures. This means that scripture is clear on its own, that if anybody will pick up scriptures, at least he would be able to understand it. For instance, John chapter 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world, anybody can understand that. What does it take for a man to be saved? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Anybody can do what? can understand that. Now, what it also means is that the difficult parts of scriptures are explained by the parts that are clear. The difficult parts of scriptures are explained by the parts that are clear. So I'll give you an example. There are certain times, even uh, Peter talked about the writings of Paul that they are hard to understand. Now, if you would do a bit more studying, you will understand that some of the things we find difficult in scripture have actually been explained in some other places. Let me give you an example. I don't know if you were here when I've taught on Paul's thorn in the flesh. How many of you have listened to the message? Okay. Paul's thorn in the flesh, you know, some people say it's sickness. Have you heard that? Talk to me. Are you here? Have you heard when people say that? That Paul's thorn in the flesh is what? Sickness that he was sick and then he prayed that God should heal him and God now said, my grace is sufficient for you. Okay. It's simple. <laughs> That's not consistent with what Jesus teaches regarding healing, right? There was nowhere anybody came to meet Jesus and Jesus did not heal them and say, My grace is sufficient for you. Eh? Did anybody come with sickness to Jesus? Jesus and say, Please go, my grace is sufficient for you. Just be it. It didn't happen. So that means that interpretation would really not fit. So, how do we understand it? First of all, we take the phrase. We take the phrase. Now, for, for instance, when people read scriptures, they actually throw away some of the things they have learned in English. You know, in scripture, there's metaphor, there's simile, there's exomeron, there's exaggeration, there's all of that. You need to bring all those places into interpretation when you're interpreting scriptures. Okay? So, let's take the phrase, turn in the flesh. So, how do we find out what turn in the flesh is? We start reading the Bible. Because the interpretation of scripture is found in scriptures. So we look at it, we look at it, we read Genesis, Exodus, we don't find anything. We come all the way to Numbers, Deuteronomy, we start seeing God saying to the Israelites, if you do not drive these nations away, there will be tongues in your flesh. So we realize in that place that tongues refer to people. Okay, and then we come to read what Paul wrote again. He says, I fought with the beast of Ephesus. And we know there was no time Paul literally fought with any beast in Ephesus. But rather, he, he, he was in arguments and in debate and in reasoning with the philosophers. Sorry, with the magicians of what? Of Ephesus. 
Alright, when he went in there Athemis, the goddess of fertility And all of that So we know that these things are referring to, pe- to people And Paul says, you know A door is open unto me and there are many adversaries He did not say there is one adversary If he had said one adversary, we know he was referring to Satan He says many adversaries, referring to multiple people So what's Paul's turn in the flesh? Paul's turn in the flesh were the people that were opposing his message And persecuting him from teaching the truth And God says, well, in spite of this persecution You still go ahead and teach the truth because my grace will be sufficient for you In spite of the persecution To be able to preach the truth So that's how scripture is interpreted We don't read our meaning into scriptures We allow scriptures to speak to us I'll give you another common example Two more examples You know, sometimes we talk about the word end time And then people always think end time is the end of the world And that's a, a, a bit of a problem Because it now affects our eschatological view For instance, the book of Revelation Is not the book of the end time The Bible did not call it the book of the end time The scripture says this is the revelation of Jesus So when you read the book of Revelation Stop looking for the beast, look for Jesus It's there Read your first line This is the revelation of Jesus Not the revelation of the Antichrist, the revelation of Jesus so find Jesus there. Okay? So the word end time, the word end of the world, or is the Greek word age. The, word, the Greek word age is aeon, and it means um, an age or time period, a specified time period. So sometimes when you read end of the world in the New Testament, it wasn't referring to the end of this world, it was referring to the end of the Jewish age. Referring to the end of the Jewish age But if you don't understand that You mean it's referring to the end of this whole world No So you need to find out the word that was used there for world Alright Because in those days Anywhere the Jew was Because they had the covenant Was seen as the end of the world Remember what Paul wrote in Romans It says your faith is spoken of Throughout the whole world Of course that faith was not being heard in Africa here So how did he mean the whole world. He was just talking about wherever the Jews were, for them, was the world. Because they had the covenant. Okay? So, uh, even the term last days, you hear people say, we're in the last of the last of the last of the last days. <laughs> you know, but then when you look at the last day, for instance, Peter said, on the day of Pentecost, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, what was spoken by the prophet Joel? You go back to read Joel's prophecy. Joel said, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That means the last days actually began when Peter, on the day of Pentecost. It's simple, because it says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. In the last day, Paul says, sorry, Peter says, this is that which was spoken. So we, we are not just in the last days we, are, we have been in the last days Right from the day of Pentecost Bible interpreting Bible Okay You know sometimes when people talk about the signs of the last days I, I, I think I'm going to teach that sometimes next day I'm working on it uh, Hidden signs of the last days You know when you talk about signs of the last days What comes to your mind? Talk to me Don't worry you won't be wrong Anything you say is correct I promise What comes to your mind? Eh? Say now, last days, what comes to your mind? Wars, rumors of wars Right? Brothers against brothers and all that Okay But you know what Paul told Timothy was signs of the last days? Men will be lovers of money Disobedient to parents Men will be rebellious Lovers of themselves You see, we focus on wars and rumors of wars And leave our love for money 
that what you are looking for in the Antichrist is in you. Hmm? You, you are looking for war and looking at Saddam Hussein. And meanwhile, as a young child, disobedient to parents, it, the, the main sign has taken residence in you. You are looking for war. You see, you must always understand that there is nothing outside that's your problem. Even the Antichrist, what are you afraid of? You know, people teach Antichrist and they teach it like one thing. Ah, six, six, six. We get the mark on this thing. You don't understand it. Well, eh? So, if there's six, six, six on your body, what is the problem? And I've told you here, listen carefully. Six is the number of man. Six, six, six is the perfection of humanity and flesh. Paul says, I bear in my body the mark of Christ. What is the mark of Christ? Focus on the mark of Christ. Leave the mark of the beast. You see, we always have wrong emphasis in the church. It's always a major problem. Because we now take things that are so mysterious. People don't understand. Say, this thing, you will not understand it. You just have to be careful. Just be careful that you don't take the mark. Be careful. Be care-. And then people are just living in fear. What is the big deal about Antichrist? Paul, John was writing. He says, the Antichrist came from among us. He says, even this day, there are many Antichrists. Paul, John says, there are many you, you are looking for one man. It's there now. Go and read your, go and read your Bible now. Read it. He said they came from among us. Those who do not testify that Christ has come in the flesh, who do not accept the messianic rule of Jesus, they were preaching a message that was contrary to Christ. What's Antichrist? Antichrist, that which opposes Christ. Eh? Antivirus, that which opposes your virus. Antichrist, that which fights Christ. Whatever fights Christ in your life is an antichristal spirit. Including your inability to endure sound doctrine. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Leave the mark. Just leave it. It's not a problem. You don't have a problem with that. Emphasize what Christ emphasized. Teach what is taught in the epistles. That's why the greatest prayer Paul prayed was that the eyes of understanding will be enlightened that we may know the mystery of God's will. Praise God. Alright. So, scripture is sufficient and the hidden part of scripture is known by what? The places that are what? Clearer. So you take what is clear to be able to understand. Okay? What is not clear. Now, why sola scriptura? Why do we have to emphasize the authority of scriptures? 1 Corinthians 4, 6. And then you know the funny thing is when you say things like this Then people go about saying oh you don't believe in this You don't believe in this Because people's concept of you believing in something Is agreeing with what everybody says about the thing <laughs> Praise God Look at this It says now these things let me, give you, let me give you another interpretation of scripture That it's not so controversial It's very straightforward I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me Right You know how do we interpret that scripture how do you interpret it? Eh? Ability to do what? To do all things. Okay, is that what that scripture is saying? I'm asking you now. <laughs> no, that's not what that scripture is saying. What Paul was saying is not the ability to do all things, it's the ability to endure all things. He says, I know how to abase. It was when they brought offerings to him and said, Well, I thank you guys for the offering you have brought. I know how to abase. I know what? 
how to abound. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. What he was just trying to say is that when I have money, my head is correct. If I don't have money, my head is still correct. The stabilizing factor is Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not that you can't do, because if you take that scripture like that, it actually means that you should be able to carry a trailer. No, it's simple now. I mean, it's simple. Can you do all things? <laughs> I'm asking you now. Okay, not what? You see now, you see that the interpretation is now changing now. I've brought the circumstance now. You are now turning. I asked you now, can you say I can do all things? Okay, there's trailer there. So you realize that it doesn't what fit into the circumstance because what you happen when you interpret scriptures like that is that scripture will begin to now take shape from what is going on. Meanwhile, it ought to be consistent in truth. But if we talk about ability to go through all circumstances, it remains consistent. Whether a man is prosperous in Japan or is prosperous in America or is prosperous in Nigeria, he can maintain his sanity in Christ. That's why I must say this. Let me say this very quickly. You realize that and people have asked me this. People say that something like in the Old Testament, you see that there was a lot of emphasis on material prosperity. They will tell you what this person had, what this man had, what in the New Testament it was very silent. Let me tell you, it wasn't that in the New Testament people were poor. No, 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 no. Don't mistake that. In the New Testament, people had money. In fact, the women, you know, one of the governor's wife was a partner to Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 8. They were giving Jesus substance. He didn't say they were giving substance to sustain his ministry. Jesus was traveling full time with 12 guys. And they were all well taken care of. The only person Jesus appointed that we know that had an official was Judas. Treasurer. Jesus didn't have a secretary. He didn't have PRO. He didn't have a brand master. The guy had a treasurer who was keeping money. So they were loaded. But why was there no emphasis? People had lands that they sold and brought to the apostles' feet. When Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea, a very rich man, went to ask for his body. See, it's like a terrorist is killed. And you now go to the president here and ask for his body. You will know what you have to go and ask for that body. Are you hear what I'm saying? Do you think if they hang any person at public execution, then you can go to Asso Rock and say, give me the body and bury the person in your own grave? Uh, it means you are loaded. For you to even go and ask Herod, for the body. You know, say, let's pray. You went to Herod and asked for the body. You know that you are so. So, Jesus had these guys around him. You see, but the emphasis why riches is not mentioned so much in the New Testament was the fact that, listen, something superior had come. The salvation of mankind that the whole world has been waiting for has finally been manifested. That was bigger than anything. That's why scriptures is silent on prosperity in the New Testament. Listen to me, saints of God. And that's the way I want us to be. I believe that we will be some of the richest bunch you will ever find on this earth, but we will know how to stay quiet because something bigger is what we're in possession of, which is salvation. That's the way it is. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All these things, with all due respect, all these things we call testimonies and talk in church that make us to jump and to shout were things Old Testament saints walked in and they didn't make noise about it. Go and read the book of Job. The scripture says Job was the greatest man in all the East. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Go and read the riches of Solomon. Solomon, there was so much wealth in Jerusalem that silver was not accounted for for anything. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But the scripture says angels desire to look into this salvation. That's where we make mistake in Pentecost today. Where we make money like a god. Listen, 
we should create an environment where when people are even extremely wealthy, they are still the most conservative, most God-fearing people you can ever find around. We must never make a mammon our God. That's why it is silent in the New Testament. Are you hearing this? Alright. Why Sola Scriptura? 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. Now these things, brethren, are figuratively, figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that in us you may not learn, you may, sorry, you may learn not to exceed what is written. So one of the reasons why Sola Scriptura is important is so that we don't exceed what is written. Hmm? We don't go beyond what is written. That's why you see today sometimes in church we will say, oh, we are doing spiritual work. What is spiritual work again? More than what Jesus had finished. Huh? You are looking for the idols in your father's house. Were they covered in the blood? Did Jesus triumph over them? He did. He did. He did. He did. He triumphed over them. You are part of that triumphant army. Are you hearing what I'm saying? One of the greatest disservice we have done to the body of Christ is this doctrine we carry about about generational curses, fathers pursuing, and all this nonsense we teach from the pulpit. See, the more we teach people that, the more we keep them in bondage. He that the Son sets free is free indeed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see, the more you think you are cursed, the more you will be cursed. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's why the greatest deliverance you need is your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why are they pursuing you? What do you have? Huh? The devil will leave, devil left Dangote, is you is after. You should that you also, also, also think, I just think, they go, if he said the devil has seen my star, he's seen my star. Which star? Which star? That even if they allow the star to blossom, where will it shine to? You know, sometimes we just make it look like if not for the devil, we'll be the biggest guys on this earth. Guys, it's a lie. If we tell him to give you two months, two years, and just give you permission to even do what you want to do, what will you do? Business ideas, zero. Books, zero. Go to school, zero. Devil is after your star. What will you do with the star? Say, we have just left my destiny. When they saw the star of Jesus, they came to worship him. What is it about your star? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Say, but Hera tried to kill him. God made a way of escape for him. It wasn't a prayer point. God just stabbed Joseph. Say, take him to Egypt. And you come back. Clear divine direction that made him to escape evil. That's how a child of God works. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Even if there is evil, and as a child of God, God should be able to tell you, don't do this, do this. And so what we should teach people, hear this carefully, what we should teach God's children is not the presence of Herod, is hearing God's voice. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We can't be teaching, there is Herod, oh, there is Herod, oh, he will soon kill you, he will soon kill you, he doesn't help you, you will die. What helps you is hearing the voice of the Father. My sheep hears what? My voice. And when you hear that voice, it doesn't matter the satanic attacks that are after your life. You would walk through them as if nothing is planned. That's how to live. Are you hearing all this fear of devil? You will die. That fear is what will kill you. Then when you meet God, explain yourself. That what I was teaching you didn't hear. That's why you died. I mean, we're so scared of the devil and it's, 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 it's becoming embarrassing. When I see what we pray about, 
never put the devil and God in the same place. It's, they are not equal. Do you understand? It's like opposite of black and white, then God, the devil. No. A thousand times no. That little thing is created. It's a created being. And we're so exalted, we're so taught, we're so... It's amazing. You look at rich things in the Christian faith we should study. We leave all these precious things we should learn about. We focus on one tiny little creature. All our prayer points after that. Huh? See, matured man going out, anointing himself, drink oil, bathe with oil, just put oil in his head, put oil on his leg. Do this one. God call all the children, anoint them, put oil in their this thing. And how long will you do that? What Jesus came to redeem you from? Since you want to perform sacrifices, go back to the Old Testament. There are 636 laws there that you need to keep. What Jesus delivered us from, we are again getting into the bondage of those things. And this is why we need to emphasize again the authority of scriptures. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. In Mark chapter 7, verse 6 to 9, we're talking about why are we talking about sola scriptura? Why are we talking about the authority of scripture? Mark chapter 7, verse 6 to 9. What happened? It says, you teach the commandments of men as what? The doctrines of God. That's why we need to stay with scriptures. Hmm? That's why we need to stay with scriptures. Go to verse 9. Says you, you are also experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. The only thing that makes the word of God of no effect is what? Tradition. You hear some people will teach that a lady cannot wear trousers to church. Okay. That same church will have a branch in America. That same church will have a branch in the US. Eh? US branch, they can wear trousers. Nigerian branch, they can't wear trousers. What that means is that if you go to U.S. on Sunday, let's say you were in U.S. this Sunday, you can wear trousers there, God will not be angry. Then as you cross the plane and enter Moesala Muhammad Airport, even in heaven, they will not check he has crossed. <laughs> and then God will be angry, right? That's all we teach. Hmm? And if you read that same scripture, the Bible says that you should not sow two crops in the same field. What that means is that if you are planting corn and you are planting pumpkin and you reap both of them, you have sinned. So if you eat corn and pumpkin from this, and almost all the things you eat, they are planted together. Hmm? Then that same thing says, trying to look, I think we have someone in there. Yeah, I think your shirt looks more like it. You know, that, that same scripture says you should not sow two things. Huh? Two materials together. How many of you are wearing shirts that has two materials? Eh? So this is the funny thing about tradition that doesn't make sense. Where we teach it as doctrine. You say a lady should not wear trousers. So she wears skirts that is made up of two materials. Okay, some of you have not understood. You said the Bible says women should not wear trousers. She now goes to sew a skirt and blouse that is made up of two materials. The verse before the one she just says she cannot do what she has just done. But you now, you didn't read that one. Do you understand it? Those are traditions of men that we teach as the commandments of God. Anybody listen carefully to this, and I don't care, thank God this is online. Anybody who has died 
and went anywhere they decided to go when they have died. And they saw whatever they decided to see whenever they died. And they brought a message back. Let them keep whatever message they saw. Keep it to themselves. Lazarus died for four days. He didn't see anything. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Huh? Listen, scriptures will teach us. It might look funny, but these things I'm saying are very key. When the rich man told Jesus, he said, send someone from here to go and warn my brothers. What did Jesus say? He says, they have the scribes and the prophets. What was Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the method of teaching salvation is not to bring message from the dead. The method of teaching salvation is for the living to listen to the living. All those, they took me to heaven. I saw, they didn't take you anywhere. What you saw is what your pastor had been teaching you. And I don't know how you died. Maybe you had an accident, your head hit the floor. And that confusion makes you to see people leading you everywhere. Listen to me. You didn't see anything. Say, God, send me back to warn you people. Lie. Stay there. God has been calling people, he's still calling people. We stay strictly by the written word. Not those experiences. Maybe your cast have assorted four times and then your brain hit somewhere and you are confused with all the nonsense theology I've been listening. Say, God came with this special message. And I tell you this, listen very carefully. There's nobody who has built his ministry on that that lasted after 10 years. Go and check all the people who came from the dead. Where's their ministry today? It's not, it's, not, it's not a valid expression of ministry. That's not how God calls. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, God tells us, He gives grace to men to explain scriptures. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If I am alive and I cannot convince you that, and you are listening for, looking for who will go and see that you should not wear with one. And that's why they come back, they come back with nonsense things. Don't wear with one. I saw somebody with earring, he was crying, help me, his trouser that brought me here. I mean, you look at it and you're like, it's your, you were hungry. You were hungry. I mean, will God now, all what God wants to do on this earth is that he went to show you somebody wearing trousers in here. And then it's very simple because if you now teach these things, it's, I don't know how we get here, but look at this for instance. We actually know that in the realm of the spirit, it's your spirit. So how do you wear the trousers you wore when the person was alive and wore it in the realm of the spirit? Do you wear dresses in the realm of the spirit? Do you carry with one in the realm of the spirit? You see, so these things are not logical. And that's why sometimes people laugh at us. Because as Christians, we can be gullible. Immediately, I just say, the Lord said, you just seize your sense. That's why somebody will come and say, God said there are ten people here that will give ten thousand. And then, he will stay there for one hour. Ten people will not stand up. You will not even ask yourself that. If, if God said there are ten people here, where are the ten people? Then later, you now say, okay, 5,000. Later, 5,000. If you are in those kind of services, just wait. The price usually comes down towards the end. <laughs> then later, I say, one five. And then they will just do stuff and say, okay, this is all here. I prayed for this all here. This all here is for 10,000. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, come, just touch. And you, you say you don't want to miss out on blessing. Which blessing? Put your money in your pocket and walk away. And t- put your money in your pocket and walk away. Even in the Old Testament, when God required an offering for them, He says, Moses, tell them what is required for the tabernacle. Let those who have a willing heart bring. God does not accept an offering that is not willing. From old to new. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? So that we can drive these charlatans out of the pulpit and we can face God's word and finish this job. Because the more we allow these people to masquerade in the altar and teach and all their testimonies are something that something happened when they were somewhere. It never happens in that church. 
When I was in Abuja, two, two women just gave and now they have their contract. When I was, it never happens. Then when they leave your own church, do the next church. When I was in Boni, I just follow and say, you see, at the end, we, we laugh at these things, but at the end, people now get tired and now start asking questions. So where did all our money go? And that's why people now start withdrawing from the faith. Because this attitude contributes to why we make people make a mockery of the things of God. Let me tell you, the days are upon us that by the teaching of God's word, people will willingly sell their lands and bring money and put it at the apostles' feet and say, you know what, pastor, go preach the word. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It won't be, none of the apostles, in fact, when, when I don't know why I'm teaching this, but I'm, I'm, I pray you help someone. When, uh, what's this woman's name now? Your, your brother and your sister that sold land and and I asked, your people, your brothers and sisters that sold land. What did Peter say? He says, when you sold it, it was yours. Do you understand? What Peter was trying to say is, listen, you didn't have to lie. Even if you didn't want to give, it was okay. It belonged to you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It means that Peter was saying right from the beginning of the church that giving was never a competition. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If a church is blessing you, your pastor is blessing you, the church is blessing you, they are managing finances well, a responsible Christian will give. No pressure, no, as you have given, as this house is going up, your life will go up. When the house finishes, what happens to your life? And let me tell you this, I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to say it. Let me tell you this, any giving that is attached to anything in the natural, don't plug your money there. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When you say, we are laying the foundation of this house. As you give, God will lay your foundation. That is a sign. Don't give. Don't tie your life to anything in the natural. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you want to lay foundation, just tell people, we want to lay the foundation of this job. This is how it will cost us. Just give to the Lord. The Lord will bless you in return. Don't tie their destinies to foundation to painting as you are painting this house god will paint your life the paint will soon wear out so when the paint wears out what will happen to you you see let's not how do i put it let people just know the truth when you know the truth you will there will be a desire in your heart i want this truth to go forth i want many people to hear those truths that becomes the primary motivation for giving and you know what happens you are now giving out of love what now happens? The Lord begins to reward you. Because love is the commandment of the kingdom. Can you say amen? amen. Alright. Ah, how many minutes? That's extra. Mm. Why the Bible is the word of God? Let me run through this quickly. Why the Bible is the word of God? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> now, the books of the Bible have been subject to the keenest scrutiny you can ever find. People have picked up the Bible <laughs> and decided, listen, we're going to find everything wrong with it. And they didn't find it. But let's look at this. External evidence. The continuity of the Bible. It's amazing, right? This is very interesting. When they were writing these letters, nobody to told them they were writing a compilation of books. So look at this. The Bible was written by more than 40 authors. Okay, more than 40 authors in about 1,600 years. It's still one book. And all the authors, you have kings there who wrote, like David, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, 
like Peter, physicians, like Luke, Luke was a doctor, tax collectors, like Matthew, statesmen, scholars, posts, poets, farmers. Imagine all these different degree of people writing one book and it's still one thing running through it. It was written in over four countries. The Bible was written in Italy, Greece, Babylon, Persia, and Israel. The human authors lived in different cultures, had different experiences. They wrote in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and then the New Testament, Greek. So the Bible is not an anthology of, di- of books by different authors. It's an amazing continuity of God's revelation from Genesis to Revelation. So it's an amazing fact that this book that we have was put together by over 40 people, different experiences, different culture, at different times, some of them not even speaking to each other, but they read the same thing. Imagine David saying in the book of Psalms, that the one who I have eaten from the same plate, with I'm paraphrasing now, is betraying me, or will betray me. And look at David writing that, right? You know, when you pick that up today, you want to pray that with a prayer point, but you know he was talking to you, right? What's talking about Judas. How come David writes that and is actually speaking about what? Judas. And then, there's this unity that no human mind would have been able to put together. Kings wrote, fishermen wrote, doctors wrote, physicians wrote, tax collectors wrote. They all wrote the same thing. That has one continuity. Number two, the Bible is, only, is the only one book in the world that has accurate prophecy. There are over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament that he fulfilled in the New Testament. Hmm? <laughs> I remember one time that uh, one guy, what was this thing? I remember one time there was this thing that was prophesying, is it prophesying now? Or predicting World Cup figures. One time, octopus. Yeah. Then he got one wrong. Hmm? And then that was the end. Eh? <laughs> but 300 prophecies about Jesus find expression in the New Testament. No one book contains that. There are things that the Bible has written about that science is proven to be true. Things the Bible has written about that science is proven to be true. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22 says, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. That was written about 2,800 years ago, even before scientists discovered that the earth was spherical. Job chapter 26 and verse 7, He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. That was written over 4,000 years ago. There are things that were written in scriptures that science is proving to be true. There are things written in scripture that archaeologists are proving to be true. Praise the name of the Lord. We also look at the testimony of Jesus. Jesus came in fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus came in fulfillment of the Old Testament. So you realize that when you read through the New Testament, you will see Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament, which again goes to qualify the fact that the New Testament is actually the Word of God. Because the prophecy that came from the Old Testament that was fulfilled in the New, you know, comes together in Jesus. So Jesus verified and gave the fact that those scriptures were the inspired Word of God. So let's write some scriptures down. Just write this down, okay? Jesus came in fulfillment of the Old Testament. Matthew 1, 23 to 33. 
Matthew 4 verse 14 Matthew 8 17 Matthew 12 17 I'm just looking at one book Matthew 15 7 to 8 Matthew 21, 4-5 Okay, so we see that Jesus came In fulfillment of the Old Testament Then, another thing we can also see That verifies the scriptures Is the fact that certain phrases In the Old Testament Were repeated and documented Exactly the way it is Let's look at Psalm 110 verse 1 this is what I want you to do. You open Matthew chapter 22, verse 43 to 44. But on the board, on the, on the screen, put um, Psalm 110, verse 1 for us. You open Matthew, then we have Psalm 110, verse 1. Let's do that quickly. Psalm 110, verse 1. Put it up on the screen for us. Now, you open Matthew chapter 22, and verse 43. So you see, in Psalm 110 verse 1, it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now when you read Matthew chapter 21, chapter 22, verse 42 to 44, it says, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, Then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Did you see that? How does David in the spirit call him Lord? So even where Jesus wasn't born, what David penned down was inspired by the spirit. Look at what he says. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. That David wrote this same phrase many years ago before Jesus came. And Jesus came and repeated those same phrases. Amazing how the scripture ties up. Alright? Now, if you look at First Timothy chapter 5 verse 18, the extent of scripture is all scriptures. Okay? You can also write this down. All scriptures concerning Jesus himself was accurate. Luke 24, 27 and John 5 verse 39. Luke 24, 27 and John 5, 39 to 40. All scriptures concerning Jesus, Jesus himself testified uh, they were accurate. Then you know also that Jesus quoted a lot from Deuteronomy, Jonah, Daniel. Jesus quoted a lot of the Old Testament. Now let's look at this. 1 Timothy 5, 14. Okay. And Luke chapter 10, verse 7. And Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. They all talk about not muzzling the ox. So you can see that what was written in Deuteronomy 25 verse 4, you can just write the scriptures down. You can put that up for us. Deuteronomy 25 verse 4, what was written in Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 4 is the same thing Paul writes about in 1 Timothy 5 verse 18, is what the, um, Luke also writes about in Luke chapter 10 verse 7. Okay? So you can see that in the Gospels, in the Epistles, and in the Old Testament, one scripture does what? Or one phrase does what? Runs across it. Praise God. Now let's go to Second Peter chapter 3. And I think we can wrap up there. Trust God to help us. My heart is basically to stay you to study more. Let's go back and study more. This is not time to give up on the faith. This is time to dig, dig in. 
Second Peter chapter three and verse fifteen to sixteen. And regarding the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in his all his later, speaking in them of these things, in which some are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distorts. Hmm? Two things that make people to distort scriptures is those who are untaught and unstable. Some people are not patient enough to learn scriptures. Hmm? Untaught and unstable. Looking for new revelation. You know, the people who are looking for new revelation, they will walk away from what is firm. Looking for something. There are people like that, always looking for new revs. But look at what it says. It says, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. So, so Peter, who was a foundational apostle of Jesus, equates the writings of Paul, the epistles, equates them to the rest of scriptures. So we see that Peter validates the fact that the writings of Paul were equal to the other scriptures. Praise the name of the Lord. Then I think the last thing here is the fact that the Bible was, doesn't carry any prejudice in its writing. For instance, nobody will write the weakness of their greatest heroes. But in the scriptures, we see the weakness of the heroes are put out for everyone to see. Okay? So when you read the scripture, it's not a book that was written to cover up people and to make Christianity look good. The mothers, the killings, the adulterous affair, the denial of Jesus. Are you following what I'm saying? Everything was documented. Even when Jesus was hungry, he was there and he was hungry. Hmm? Even when he was angry and he flogged people from the distance, they put it there. I mean, do you think if you were to write about Jesus, you would write that he flogged people? You wouldn't want to paint Jesus in that light, right? That he flogged people from the temple. But everything was written. That's to say that they were not trying to write something nice that people will accept. What were they actually doing? They were just giving accounts of what they have seen. Hmm? Do you think if you were to write about Jesus today, they tell you, you, will you ever think that you write that Jesus was hungry? Or if you want to talk about, you know, I'm studying something about the book of Mark. Do you think if you want to write about the death of Jesus, if they tell you that this man is the son of God, write about his death. I mean, what are you going to write? That they forced him in the coffin, he came out. They forced him, he came out and he shouted, you want to kill me? <laughs> you know, that's all you write. I mean, you write it like Superman, right? Are you going to write the fact that nails actually entered his hands? Blood came from his hand. Are you going to write that your Lord and your Savior was so thirsty, he had to beg Roman soldiers for water? Would you write that? I mean, that's not the picture of the God we want. Come on, Superman can do more than that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So they were not writing to present a perfect picture of Jesus. They were actually describing what they saw. When the apostles were writing the Bible, they did not write it with the intention that, you know what, we are going to write one Bible that everybody is going to read and understand. No, they were just giving accounts of what they had seen. Are you following that? And it was later by the mercies and the grace of God and the sovereignty of God that this whole thing was pieced together to become the Bible. It was not an intentional collection of books. It was Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, on how to lead his life. Uh, let me read something to you. Quickly, quickly. Last one. A good preacher should have three closings. This is the final one. First Peter chapter 1. Let me just say this to you quickly, quickly. First Peter chapter 1. Thank you, Lord. First one. Okay? Look at what Peter was writing. 
Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. What's the word aliens here now? Foreigners, okay? Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. What was happening here? Peter was writing to those who have been scattered by persecution. So when you are reading First Peter, you should read with that in mind. Look at what he wrote, wrote to them, um, verse 4 to 8, quickly. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefined, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, it's, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when you read this, you realize that Peter was writing to strengthen their faith. Praise God. Was writing to strengthen their faith. He was writing to people who were scattered. He wasn't writing because he wanted to write the Bible. He was writing a letter to strengthen the faith who's, who's, who were scattered out of persecution. Now, you cannot take this and say, well, trials make your faith to be strong. No. It was written for you, but not written to you. So first of all, you have to understand the context. How do you now apply it to yourself? You apply it to yourself in such a way you know that. Listen, regardless of what I'm going through, if people who went through this adverse persecution could stay and their faith could be strong, then I can be strong in Christ. It's like now, if you're writing a letter to someone in Afghanistan, or you're writing a letter to someone in Port here, I mean, the letters are going to be different. If you write a letter to someone in Port here, oh, you say, ah, thank God for everything. Thank God for lights. Thank God for water. Thank God for gas. You don't even know what to Thank God. Lift your hands and thank God. Right? But we are writing, someone's, writing a letter to someone in Afghanistan with what they are going through right now. Is that what you are going to write? I mean, you are going to write to strengthen their faith. That's exactly what happened. These people did not come up and say, listen, we are going to write about Jesus. We are going to match your book will be dead. You know, if at the end of the day, these people knew that was the way they would have fought. Hmm? Instead of writing about Jesus, they have... <laughs> because I mean, when these guys came and Pleaded for one to be on the left and on the right. So how? These guys were upset. So imagine, they now tell Bartholomew that either whatever he is written will not be in the Bible. That is, so all these three and a half years, even my book will not enter. <laughs> you know, so what I'm trying to say is this. The Bible was not intentionally put together. It was the act of God who spoke through men to write what we have. The Bible is God's word. And if we study it, we'll find the wisdom that gives salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the precious word. We thank you for the sacrifices of men and women who have brought the word to us. Either through writing, through printing, through publishing, through making available. We thank you that the wisdom that leads to salvation will constantly, constantly, constantly be what stirs our hearts when we read the word of God. For those who need to be saved, God, the laborers are given in the field, the message of, of salvation and the gospel is given to them, and that their hearts are open to receive it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Have you been blessed? Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng. Or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.